Hello, everyone. Before we listen to God's word, I want to thank you for your continued support of the ministry of Mukilteo Presbyterian Church. Your prayers, your words of encouragement, and your disciplined, faithful financial giving to this church is enabling us to not only get through this difficult season with some measure of stability, but in many ways has even led to the expansion of our outreach and mission. I am truly privileged and blessed to be pastor of such a great church. Thank you so much. Let's now approach the preaching of God's word with prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth and faith and love that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The book of Revelation opens with a magnificent vision given to John, who was living in exile on the island of Patmos. While he was worshiping on the Lord's day, the risen Jesus appeared to him. He was walking among seven golden lampstands, each lampstand representing one of the seven churches of the Roman province of Asia, what's today the western part of Turkey. And Jesus told John to write down what he was saying and send them to the churches. If you look at a map, you can see the churches grouped together into an irregular circle. Beginning with the island of Patmos, where John was exiled, a messenger could sail to Ephesus, then follow along a trade route north to Smyrna and Pergamum, turn southeast to Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and finish in Laodicea. It's interesting that there should be seven churches. In a book where numbers are nearly always symbolical, that surely has significance. The number seven in the Bible indicates perfection, completion. So this number would point to the fact that these messages are directed not only to just a few churches at certain times and places, but to all churches in all places and in all times. Some of Jesus' messages are comforting and encouraging. Others are challenging and confronting. Though Jesus was speaking to ancient churches, his words are relevant to our church and to our lives today. Last week, we studied Jesus' words to the church at Ephesus and heard the call for us to rekindle our first love, our love for God, love of neighbor. There's nothing worse than a loveless, passionless church, all performance, all show, and no heart. Such a church is nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is the first mark of any church that would call itself Christian. Today, we visit the city of Smyrna, and here we find not a loveless church, but a suffering church, a church under severe pressure. To set the context, let me tell you a little bit about the city of Smyrna itself. It was second in importance only to the city of Ephesus in that part of the world. Interestingly, it is the, it's the only city of the seven that's still in existence today. It's, it's the modern day city of Izmir, which is the third largest city in Turkey. 35 miles north of Ephesus on the eastern shore of the Aegean Sea, Smyrna possessed an excellent harbor. It was a busy commercial center. The city itself was built on and around a large hill, Mount Pegasus. At the top of the hill is a castle built by Alexander the Great, which still stands today with medieval modification. Very little of the ancient city survives. Much of it lies under the modern city. However, archaeologists have uncovered what's called the Agora or Forum, which was a public square and situated on the main road in town. Some of the pillars that were toppled by an earthquake in 167 AD have been re-erected on the site. And after the earthquake, the city was rebuilt by the Emperor Marcus Aurelius. Proud and beautiful city, Smyrna boasted a famous stadium, library. It was the site of the largest public theater in all of Asia. It was the birthplace of the great epic poet Homer. It was a large city. In New Testament times, the population may have been over 100,000. Coins from the period described Smyrna as 
first in Asia in beauty and size. The city seemed to have had a special relationship with Rome. Highly patriotic, it applied for and won the right to build a huge temple to the Emperor Tiberius. It also had a rather large Jewish population. We don't know uh, when the church in Smyrna was founded, but it was probably established through the, through the efforts of the Apostle Paul on one of his missionary journeys. It's to the church at Smyrna that Jesus now speaks. So let us now uh, listen to God's word, reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. I know your afflictions, says Jesus. The Greek behind our English word affliction is a, it's a strong word. It means crushing pressure. The followers of Jesus in Smyrna were experiencing the crushing pressure of persecution. The enemies of the faith seemed especially aggressive and cruel in this place. It galled many of Smyrna's citizens that Christians refused to worship the emperor. To them, it seemed shamefully unpatriotic and downright treasonous. All Christians had to do was burn a pinch of incense at Caesar's altar, say, Caesar is Lord, and receive their certificate and go off to worship as they pleased. But the Christians refused to conform. Jesus Christ alone was their Lord. They wouldn't give lip service to Caesar just to be safe from persecution. For them, either Christ was all or not at all. They refused to compromise, and therefore they were persecuted. This persecution, judging by this letter to Smyrna, took various forms. They were persecuted economically. I know your poverty, but you are rich, says Jesus. They were rich spiritually, but poor materially for a reason. Christian shops were undoubtedly boycotted. They may also have been the victims of mob violence and looting. Christians were also the victims of slander. They were accused of all kinds of subversive antisocial activity. Some Christians were arrested, thrown into prison for their faith, for some it meant death. There's a very famous story that comes from this period of church history. It concerns a man by the name of Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna in the second century. His life, message, and martyrdom helps us focus on the meaning of Jesus' message to the church there. As the story goes, a mob, which had already put several Christians to death, started to call for Polycarp's death as well, for he was a well-known leader in the area. His friends persuaded him to leave the city, finding a place to hide in the country. A fourth century church historian tells us that Polycarp, quote, remained with a few companions, devoting himself night and day to constant prayer to the Lord, pleading and imploring as he always had done that God would grant peace to the churches throughout the world. But the authorities hunted him down brought him back to the city and threw him into the sports arena where a huge crowd had gathered and were calling for his death. As the account reads, a voice from heaven cried, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. The city magistrate pressured him to deny Christ and swear to Caesar, but Polycarp refused. His reply is famous. 86 years have I served Christ and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? 
people were enraged. They gathered logs for fire to, to burn him at the stake. As the flames devoured his body, he prayed, I thank you, Lord, that you have graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour, that in the number of the martyrs I may partake of Christ's cup to the resurrection of both soul and body. Polycarp's resolute stand for Christ, his faithfulness, was representative of the Christians in Smyrna. Smyrna was a dangerous place to be a Christian. Jesus knew that, and he praised the faithfulness of his people in that city. They were spiritually rich because of it. They were to be commended for standing up under the terrible pressure of godless forces. Jesus encouraged them to continue to do so. Don't fear. Hold on. Hold out in faith, he was saying. Be faithful under pressure. And God's people have always been under pressure by a hostile world. Jesus warned his disciples of persecution to come. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus pronounces blessing upon those who would be persecuted for his sake. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Virtually all the original disciples were put to death for Jesus' sake. And so it's been through the centuries, and still very much the case today. Many Christians are under terrific pressure and are being persecuted for their faith. They are witnessing environments that are truly crushing. There is more persecution of Christians worldwide than at any other time in modern history. According to the Pew Research Center, 80% of the world's population lives in a religiously repressive environment, and out of all the global religions, Christians are the most persecuted group. It's estimated that some 300 million Christians around the world are undergoing some form of persecution, one out of every seven believers, and persecution is on the rise. The Center for the Study of Global Christianity estimates that 90,000 Christians die for their faith every year. The hardest place to be a follower of Jesus is, and you might guess, North Korea, followed by Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, and Pakistan. But as you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a huge problem in Nigeria right now where Boko Haram and other militants have targeted Christian villages in the center of the country, killing as many as 27,000 people, more than died at the hands of ISIS in Syria and Iraq. China has been cracking down harder on Christian churches that refuse to follow the dictates of the Communist Party. In Catholic churches, pictures of the Virgin Mary are being replaced with portraits of President Xi Jinping. Underground churches are being shut by the thousands. Crosses are taken off buildings. It's illegal to teach children under the age of 18 the Christian faith. And then I think of our sister church in Antalya, Turkey, where Pastor Ramazan, his congregation, faced a difficult environment where Christian churches are thought to be fundamentally anti-Turkish and therefore not worthy of anyone's support. Well, the reality is that many Christians in our world today are experiencing the pressures of a hostile culture just as they did in earlier times, and many therefore can immediately relate to the situation at Smyrna. And yet, in spite of it all, they're standing up, remaining faithful to the Lord. The sad thing is that all this suffering gets very little attention by Western governments and churches. The cries of suffering are meant largely with silence. Few speak out against it. Cardinal Timothy Dolan of New York at a recent conference on the subject of religious persecution said that when he meets with persecuted Christians in foreign countries, quote, 
They constantly say to me, we feel forgotten. We don't hear anybody speaking up for us. We feel like we're orphans. Well, uh, we dare not forget our brothers and sisters in these very difficult places. Surely we ought to be praying for them and seek ways to encourage them, even as they encourage us by their courage and commitment. I'm incredibly inspired and humbled by these folks who are willing to suffer so for Christ's sake. I marvel at their faith and their commitment to the Lord. They're totally surrendered to him. These people are willing to put their very lives on the line to follow Jesus. They refuse to compromise their faith and bow down to other gods and other lords. For them, Jesus is the only way to God. They truly believe that. As the Apostle Peter put it to the Sanhedrin, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Well, can we in Mukilteo relate to any of this? We seem a world removed from Smyrna of the New Testament and from Smyrna's and other parts of the world where believers regularly face hardship, outright persecution. We Christians in Western countries have it comparatively easy. After all, we live in a place where there's freedom of worship. Whatever pressures we face are nothing like what people in other parts of the world are facing. It's far easier to be an open Christian here than most other places in the world for which we praise God. May it continue. That said, it is true that we Western Christians do face some hostility in our culture. And that hostility seems to be growing. In some circles, Christians are often treated with disdain and contempt. Those who take their Christian faith seriously are considered to be nut jobs, crazy people, by people who, who know virtually nothing of what they attack. I find the lack of respect for religious beliefs by those who claim to be open-minded and tolerant to be quite appalling. For many, it's okay to be religious, just don't take it too seriously, and above all, keep it to yourself. Whatever we suffer as Christians, the Lord urges us to stand up and be counted, not be ashamed of the gospel. For as Paul says, it's the power of salvation to everyone who believes. But let us acknowledge other pressures that would cause us to deny the gospel and to fall away from Christ. These pressures can be all too subtle and therefore all the more dangerous. We may not bow the knee to Caesar, but we have other gods that would claim our ultimate allegiance. You know, the great cultural gods of money and power and sex and the faddish philosophies and self-help techniques of the day all promise their own kind of salvation. These rival gods are stronger than we think. Enshrined in the media, they're constantly pressuring us to compromise our faith, leading us down the pathway to heartache and disappointment and ruin. Jesus is the way to God. It's only through him that we find true life. Do you and I really believe that? The martyrs of the faith were willing to stake their very lives upon that truth. They were that committed to Jesus as Lord that they would tolerate no rivals. They would bow the knee to no other person, to no other philosophy. Are you and I, in the midst of all the pressures of life, committed to him as well? Is he truly Lord? Are we fully surrendered to him? The Lord, of course, never promises we shall never have trouble or hardship or temptation. The good news is that no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what or who threatens us, our suffering is limited. It will not go on forever. Jesus says that the church in Smyrna will suffer for 10 days. The meaning is not totally clear, but it does carry the sense that suffering is time-bound and it will come to an end. 
The fact is, as Jesus reminds us in his letter to Smyrna, he is the first and the last. He's the living one. Our lives are in his hands, and as ultimately we are under his control, and our lives are bounded by his steadfast love. If we Christians hold on and hold out in faithfulness in times of crushing pressure, looking to Christ to sustain us, we will win the victor's crown. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Whatever pressures we face because of our allegiance to Christ, let's stand up, stand firm in the strength of the Lord. Against the negative pressures of that which would separate us from God, there are the far stronger compensating pressures of God's love and God's strength. He says to us what he said to the Christians in Smyrna, Look, I know your affliction. I know what you're dealing with the kinds of pressures you are facing, the hostility many of you have had to put up with, for I've had to put up with it too. Now that I am the first, or know that I am the first and the last, I, I'm the living one, who will help you remain steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work I've given you. Whatever you suffer on my account will be rewarded in my kingdom. Blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad. Just wait and see. It will be worth it in the end. You'll win the crown of life at the end of the race. You will conquer. Let anyone who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to his church. So let us be bold, be strong, be faithful in the Lord, stand up under pressure. Let us pray. Hear our prayers, Lord, for those brothers and sisters in Christ who are experiencing the crushing pressure of persecution. May they know how much you love them. Give them courage and the strength they need to continue to boldly testify to your saving grace. Comfort them in all their affliction. We pray for ourselves, Lord, that we may learn from those who have suffered so much because they dare to follow you. May their faithful witness inspire us to, to stand strong for you amidst all the pressures we face that would cause us to fall away from you. Lord, be our shield and our defender. In your name we pray. Amen. So may the Lord bless you and keep you this day and in the days ahead. Amen.